10, 5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits, cover is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Boba. Coming up, Sunbelt Conference play underway for the basketball teams that began this past Saturday. We'll recap the season openers or the conference openers for you. We're going to talk about stuff coming up in 2024, but we still have a lot to talk about from 2023. We do. Now, we've been doing this podcast a little over two years now, and we had never missed a week of doing this podcast until last week, and we were planning on doing a show, but I think it all caught up to us at some point because we both got sick first me then you and yeah independently of one another correct and it almost makes you wonder uh if you're listening to this and you were in montgomery for the bowl who else came back sick because i got a feeling it might have been a high number to be honest with you i think there were a lot of people that came back from that trip sick and i don't mean about the game we'll talk about that later i mean literally we were sick about that too (laughs) i mean really old-fashioned sick but yeah i remember heck i even said a prayer at some point that week people were starting to get sick i said god please let me get through the bowl game and i asked for that i got through the bowl game and then on christmas eve afternoon it just hit me like a ton of bricks and i was down for a few days yeah it's crazy stuff. I don't mind telling you. Same sort of thing happened at our house, kind of. My wife got sick really going into Christmas morning. Well, what's interesting is that, like, of course, because she did, we had COVID tests around the house, she took one Christmas Day and was negative. So we went about our Christmas business. She took one the day after Christmas. It was positive. And she laid up. I mean, like, it, it put her in bed for three days with killer headaches, high fever, and all this stuff. She got hit hard. Only because I knew she had tested positive. Like three days later, when I get a cough about once every 10 minutes and a sniffle, I take a test and I'm positive too. And that's, But that's all that happened to me. It's just crazy how just the two people test positive for the same thing. One's in bed for three days and one's got a sniffle. Well, we're on the mend now. Glad to be back and glad to be talking about... Everything that happened while we were gone, and there was a lot that happened over the course of the holiday break. And you know, first off, and I want to start with just the whole bowl week experience and talk about the week itself. And one thing that I know we talked a lot about during our broadcast that week in Montgomery was the fact that it was just nice to be back in a bowl again. It was really, really easy to get spoiled over the course of going every single year for nine straight Mm -hmm. seasons. I think after we didn't go for three straight years, there was just a a brand new appreciation for the whole experience and being back in Montgomery, a place we had been a couple of times before at the Renaissance. And you could just tell our fans were excited to be there. Now, with that said, didn't know exactly what it would look like because the the ticketing part was different it didn't literally go through our hands like it had all the other times folks were buying them through from a link to the bowl so we didn't have a direct count of how many people were buying tickets i mean somebody in our department did but it wasn't just readily out there floating around i mean that 
what was the number. I still couldn't tell you. So you didn't know how many tickets are being sold. If I'm being honest, I probably heard from more people along the way who said they weren't going to be able to make it than I had heard from people who said they were going. Yeah. So you go into it not really knowing, well, who's actually going to be down there? Uh, one thing that I thought was neat, and listen, I don't claim, I mean, thankfully, there's enough Arkansas State fans that nobody knows all of them. But what I thought was interesting is that when we drove down, and I was part of the group because of the women's basketball game on Thursday, I was part of the group that drove down Friday, the day before the game. That was a big group. Yeah. We would pass vehicles along the way with Red Wolves flags or A-State stuff on our vehicle. Every stop we made along the way, every gas station we stopped in, there were A-State fans on their way there, and I never knew any of them. Never knew anybody driving a vehicle we passed. Never knew anybody we saw in the gas station. But I thought, well, this is kind of an interesting sign. And then get down there, and you got a sense Friday night at the pep rally that, okay, this is going to be all right. And then you get there Saturday, and, man, it looked really good. Yeah, I thought our fans turned out. They were making a lot of noise from the start. It was a great bowl week experience. And that includes the game. And I know the game ended up breaking our hearts, but the weather couldn't have been more perfect. I mean, you couldn't have asked for better weather. I, I'll say 70 this. and sunshine on December the 23rd. I don't mean this. Not nearly as I don't as spoiled as it's going to sound. But like literally, because, and, and I'll talk more about this in a bit. I sat in the stands. Mm-hmm. I had a great seat, almost 50-yard line up in the stands amongst our fans. If there was anything you could have said is that it was too sunny. <laughs> now, how's that for... Uh, for now, a now we're reaching. <laughs> is it, is it, if, it, if any complaint, you, if you if you just had to say, I'm, I've got to find something to complain about, it would have been it was too bright and sunny out there. Hey, we're recording this on the second, and I think so many people watch the Rose Bowl, and they see these picturesque views and just how perfect that setting is. Well, heck, I was thinking the same thing, just how perfect <laughs> it was in Montgomery. On the 23rd. It was very nice. Couldn't ask for much more. And it was clear from the start of the game that both teams wanted to be there. And that's not always the case with these bowl games. And just the energy. You could tell there was some uh, chirpiness from the outset of that game. You could tell both teams were excited about being in that bowl game. And look, you could have predicted that because one of the main storylines going into the game was these were two of the seven FBS teams that had won three games or less the year before that went on to a bowl game this season. NIU was in that same boat that we were, coming off a three-win season and doubling their win total, and here's a chance to play in a bowl game. And, man, did they empty their bag of tricks. Well, yeah, that's um, an interesting point both on both accounts. Uh, and I'm glad you said it because I thought you were exactly right. I when people ask me how I thought the game would go, my answer to them, and this up to Friday night, whenever it was, is that I think we will play well mm-hmm. because I get the sense, really not even going to practice, just sitting in my office and listening to us practice in Jonesboro. I could, I could hear it. I could tell the energy level is high. I got the sense we wanted to be there. Yeah. And that, as you said, that's got an awful lot to do a lot of times with who wins a bowl game. It's just who wants to be there more. So I knew if we did not win or if we did not play well, it wasn't going to be on account of not wanting to be there. 
Now, I couldn't speak to Northern Illinois. I was hoping they played like they didn't want to be there, but I didn't know if they would or not. I just knew we were going to play like we wanted to be there, and we did. And then to your point is that in the first half, when they did all their scoring, it's because they let it all hang out. A reverse pass, a double pass at one point, a surprise onside in the first half, and and then they score on a fake field goal. Even on their first drive, you got to give them credit because – you know, they marched down on the opening drive of the game, and heck, their, their touchdown pass, Leon Jones couldn't have covered it any better. And <laughs> yeah. their seventh year quarterback, their seventh year senior, Rocky Lombardi, just drops it in the bucket in the back of the end zone, couldn't have thrown it in a better spot. In fact, that was the only yeah. spot that he was going to be able I've to been, throw it and get the touchdown. I've been seeing that dude make that throw since we were in high school. Well, yeah, it's been about that long. <laughs> That was one of the other cool sidebars to the whole game was the fact that you had a seventh-year senior at quarterback on one side and then the true freshman and Jalen Rayner on the other side. Yeah, Jalen was 12 when the other dude started playing college football. Yeah. You know, even after NIU scored on their opening drive, they missed the extra point at 6 nothing. Red Bulls making a nice opening drive. They get in the red zone, and then there's a tip ball and an interception inside the red zone. You kind of went back and just, even as the game was going along, you thought, man, there's some missed opportunities here. I hope they don't come back to get us. And you know, credit to the Red Wolves, because as soon as we turned it over, we had a diving interception from Travion Thomas. And then on the very next play, it was Jalen Rayner finding Corey Rucker for Corey's first touchdown of the year. Rucker split out to the right. It's Ely and Jackson on the left as A-State takes over at the NIU 41. Jalen Rayner going deep right side. He's got Rucker wide open. It's caught for a score. Corey Rucker with his first touchdown of the year. And it comes here at the Camellia Bowl as A-State's an extra point away from taking the lead with 5.59 remaining in the opening quarter. First of two touchdowns. On the day for Corey Rucker. It was good to see him have a huge day in the bowl game. But NIU scores touchdowns on their next two drives. They went up 21-7 to with 9.42 to go in the second quarter. And that second touchdown was the fake field goal. Those were the last points they scored all day long. I think there's sort of two things at play there as to why that was the case. Number one, credit the Arkansas State defense and the adjustments they made. Because I had actually had a conversation with a member of the coaching staff on Friday night and he had said hey, our on the defensive side of the ball one of our big concerns is that they're going to do a bunch of stuff they're going to use a lot of motion do a lot of stuff and try to trick your eyes well no, that's exactly what they did my goodness <laughs> I can't remember more pre-snap movement than what they had so our guys adjusted to that right and shut it down from there on and then too I do think Northern Illinois for as much as they let it all hang out in the first half, thought they could just ride that run game and put it away in the second half and didn't really do that. And you talk about you talk about our missed opportunities you hope didn't come back to bite you. They doinked both uprights in the second half. They did. And you know that and then barely lived to tell about it. Now, I noticed their kicker was still called back to talk to the media after the game because of his fake field goal that he ran in. <laughs> But we hit a couple of field goals at the end of the first half. You cut it to 21-13 to at the half, and it was that score, 21-13, until 1-14 to go in the game. And we cap off an 
Eight-play, 86-yard drive with another touchdown pass to Corey Rucker. Four receivers. Twins to the direction. Throw it on the quick slant. This is caught inside the five. Corey Rucker is into the end zone. Corey Rucker caught it at the five. Spun past the defender and went in for the score. Makes it 21-19. And then we're unsuccessful on the two-point try. Mm-hmm. Still, we got a chance to line up, try the onside kick, and that's when everything broke loose because, you know, the Red Wolves, as we know, recover the onside kick, but there's a flag down. Offsides was the call, and I'm sure your phone was blowing up just like everybody else. You see every possible view. I mean, what the TV replay is showing, they're showing it. I can't remember how much they showed it on the video. They board. showed it because that's honestly, it was the most I've ever seen like with players. They showed it on the board and that's when, I mean, I tell you, from sitting in the stands, that's when the, the yeah. crowd re- knew to start going crazy. And I mean, I've never seen, like our players, I mean, Zavada and our, our players on the field basically imploring anybody in a striped shirt to turn around and look at the board. And then, obviously, you know, Coach Jones doing the same. <laughs> it's just still kind of mind-blowing that, that that flag is thrown when there is no offsides on the onside kick. And you got to think with the momentum we had on the previous drive, we've got all three of our timeouts, a minute 14 to go. You would have been able to get in the field goal range yeah. for Dominic Zavada and win the game. Because the truth is – I mean, you recovered it, which means it had to go to the 45. So let's just say that's where we got it. If you picked up 15 yards, right, you would have been to the minus 40, which means on a clear, sunny day, if you had to from there, you could let Dominic Zavada try a 57-yarder. Which is his career long. And now you had, again, a lot of time and all three timeouts to pick up more than that. But in you needed just 15 yards to feel like you had a shot. Coach Jones said in this post game, and I know we'll talk more about that, but the thing he said is he had no doubt we were going to go down and kick a field goal to win the game. And I actually, uh, truthfully, I believe that. I think the same thing. I think there's little doubt. If you'd have scored in the last minute, gotten an onside kick, had that much time, all three timeouts, and a great kicker, I would have loved our chances to have kicked a game with a field goal. We'll go ahead and play that here because – I think Coach Jones handled it in the post game about as well as anybody could have. Well, that was a thing that was probably more disheartening than anything is they couldn't really explain it. And uh, all I wanted is an explanation. And when an officiating crew can't explain and they're not in control of the moment, um, that's very, very disappointing. And, you know, that ga- that play, one play did not cost us the game. Like I said, there's an accumulative of a number of plays that, you know, add up over time that, that do it. But I, you know, can't get the play back. But it's unfortunate that the game had to end like this in most great officiating crews. They put it in the hands of the kids. They don't take it away from the kids. And, again, I don't want to speak out of turn because I just, you know, I'm going by validation of what everyone else has told me through the TV replay. I don't know. But uh, it's very unfortunate because there's no doubt in my mind we were going to go down and kick the game-winning field goal. But you know what? We didn't make enough plays at the end of the game, and we shouldn't have even been in that situation. And it was amazing to see just the – national attention uh, through social media everywhere else i mean you, you saw every angle everybody knew the call was wrong national people like pat mcafee is chiming in 
I think his words were, Arkansas State got bamboozled. Bamboozled. Which, when I got home on Saturday night, and I tweeted this the next day, I was able to show my boys, you know, they're 10 and 8. But when I was able to pull up my phone and say, hey, look here, Pat McAfee tweeted about the Red Wolves. They thought that was really cool because they know Pat McAfee from his WWE stuff. That was the coolest thing for them. I don't even know if they watched, probably didn't even watch the game, but they thought it was neat that Pat McAfee tweeted about the Red Wolves. The other thing that it kind of brought up was memories of that day in Austin back in 2007 mm-hmm. because it was just so similar. Well, the score of that game was 21-13. Yeah. Wait a minute. We were still the Indians back then. <laughs> Able to recover the onside kick, but illegal formation was the call, which a couple of days later, Steve Roberts was told by the Big 12 that that was the wrong call. Yeah, our bad. Yeah, but it would have been nice in that scenario. Now, still, a lot more had to happen in Texas right. because we had to go down and with, I think, a, a minute two to go in the game, not only score a touchdown, but get the two-point conversion to force overtime. So there were more factors that, that were at play that had to happen. 15 yards to give a great kicker a shot. Yeah, that, yes. yeah, different scenarios. They were very similar in that the players had the opportunity to do that taken away by – yeah, what, at least in the Texas case, what was admitted to being a wrong call, and I don't know if any such admission has come in this case or not, but it doesn't matter, right? I mean, the damage is done. No official, like, right, I mean, officials, I really believe, it's at least the good ones, like their hope is to be anonymous, is to be chameleons, right? Yeah. And the last thing I think anybody wants is a game to end. And look, the NFL's dealt with this in some really high-profile cases the last couple weeks where a game ends and – Nobody's talking about the game, and everybody's talking about the officiating. Nope, that's not good for anybody. It was still, no matter what the result of the bowl game was, an extremely encouraging season, and, man, I can't wait till I was trying to think of the date. Is it August 31st against UCA? I think that's right. Yeah, A couple of things here before we kind of shift gears. One is, and and I don't know, and you and I haven't even had this conversation. You know, were you – privy to a break format did you guys add breaks did you make your breaks longer during the bowl game than you did during a regular game broadcast no i mean we weren't told before game day how long the the breaks would be because they were longer from a fan standpoint i mean again i never sit in the stands right and mm-hmm. so to do it and the game be on espn you know it's on main espn and it's a bowl broadcast it felt like Number one, it felt like there were more breaks, and there probably weren't more, but they sure felt to last forever. And that makes me wonder if, like, if it was not a coincidence or not an accident that they didn't put the clock on the field, the thing that tells you how long the break has left. Yes, that, that I think, was the, the part that was most frustrating to me, especially early in the ball game, because that's what we're trained to look for anymore. Yep is the guy holding the sign and he wasn't there so i had to i had to guess a little bit on the breaks which you, you don't never, want you, you don't want to have cut to. one short though that's true i mean if indeed we you could have talked a long time and still gotten them in there anyway so on our side on the radio side our breaks are a minute 30 during the game by the time we come back kind of reset things 
it, it still gives us a little time to talk. It, it's not that big of a deal for us. But you could tell they were longer yeah. breaks. It, and I don't know, but I almost feel like it was intentional to not have it on a clock down there. Because I think it helps you, right? When I'm at home in my booth doing what I do, it helps me. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't help the fans to sit there and see if they're about to put four minutes or something on the clock and run it at every dead ball. I didn't even think about that possibly being intentional, but I would think, yeah, that would that'd probably be discouraging for fans <laughs> knowing they're going to have to wait four minutes for the game to start up again. Yeah, I, and I, like I said, I don't know, but it, I wouldn't be surprised if that was not, I mean, because it sure seems like everybody's got that clock now, so I almost wonder if it was intentional not to. And then the other thing is that I had a fun time sitting in the stands okay i had to talk to a lot of people i wouldn't even know what to do sitting in the stands yeah i me either and i wasn't sure i was gonna like it but then it was neat like i almost think like i can't do it at home and there's a lot of times not gonna be a lot of road games we're gonna have enough to do it so maybe i should just always do it when we go to a bowl because it was a fun experience a good perspective for me uh to Stand up on third downs and get everybody and everybody doing that. And I'm not gonna lie to you to boo like crazy at the end. That well, was, good. That, that was fun to get to do that and, too. And you didn't have to worry about being unprofessional when when you did it. No, nope. no. Nope. I was just uh, it was and nothing more. I'm not nothing said other than boo. Well, I mean, but those but, were but earned. you were free to say whatever you that's wanted right. to. I had a ticket, and I believe that's what you hear, right? I got a ticket. I, I got say a ticket. Whatever I, I can want. say whatever I that's want. That's right. More to come here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. If your debit card is lost or stolen or you're opening a new account, you can immediately get a new card just by visiting your nearby Simmons branch. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. This is Coach Butch Jones, and we need you to help our A-State athletic programs by donating to the Impact Club. This is an organization that is making a real difference in the lives of our student-athletes. Make a monthly commitment and get access to team newsletters, special gear, and exclusive access that you will not find anywhere else. Find out more and give today at impactclub.com. That's impact spelled I-M-P-A-C-K-T club.com. Your support is greatly appreciated and is helping our programs right now. Wolves up. You go back to bowl week, and one thing that was a little bit different about bowl week was the fact that National Signing Day was right in the middle of bowl week. And the team actually went to Montgomery on Tuesday. Wednesday morning, you you knew the team was getting ready for practice. They were going to practice at 11 a.m. But at the same time, it was National Signing Day, and Butch Jones and the coaching staff I think tried to set it up the same kind of war room that they normally would at home, tried to set it up the same way. From all accounts, I think they were successful in that. Everything went smooth on signing day, and they did it from the team hotel. And by the end of the day, there were 20 high school signees, and there were services out there that gave A-State the number one recruiting ranking for the third consecutive year. This is another thing you and I have not gotten to talk about. So, I mean, from your standpoint, we've done an awful lot of signing day 
broadcast together. Mm-hmm. Always at home in different setups, different places, different venues, but always in and around the stadium. So from a broadcast standpoint, what was signing day at the hotel like? It wasn't much different in the fact that we were still getting those signees given to us in real time. Jerry Scott and Mark Taylor were helping out with that. And as soon as we found out the signee was official, we were able to announce that on the air. The difference was, like on a usual signing day at home, we can work those assistant coaches over to us and and we're constantly interviewing them as well. They were getting ready for practice in addition, and they were having pre-practice meetings with position groups, and they had a team meeting as well. Now, Butch Jones did come out and visit with us for about 30 minutes a little after 9 o'clock and kind of gave us the lowdown on everything. But it was a practice day, so that was the biggest difference as far as the signing day coming. And that is a big difference. It is. It's it's, it's quite a difference. But still, we were able to report as soon as it happened. The thing about that day for me that I'm going to remember is the fact that I did the signing day coverage in Montgomery from 7 to 10 and then hopped in the truck. And fortunately, I had Mark Taylor with me, drove up to Nashville, called the basketball game at Belmont, and then drove back that night. So... I did about six hours of broadcasting that day and eight hours of driving. And I'll tell you, by the end of that drive, I was struggling. And I was glad to have Mark Taylor with me, keeping me awake. Yeah, it makes for a long day. The big thing to take out of the signing class, yeah, 20 high school signees. And and I'm sure at some point we'll talk more specifically about the signees. But the headliner was Josh Flowers, the quarterback out of Baker High School in Mobile, a four-star recruit, first ever ESPN top 300 recruit, and great story with him. I mean, that was kind of a last-minute thing after he decommitted from Mississippi State. He was open again, and Keith Heckendorf was the first one through the door and was able to form a great relationship with the young man and his family, and we've got a pretty good quarterback situation right now with a guy like Josh Flowers coming in and the reigning Sunbelt Freshman of the Year coming back next season. And the common denominator being both those guys having great relationships with Keith Heckendorf. Yeah, it's all about relationships, and that's why Coach Jones and this staff continue to have success. And those relationships right there at the top of the list. All right, so signing day out of the way. We also had our conference openers in basketball. We'll talk about those when we come back to wrap things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Red Wolves fans, this is Coach Destiny Rogers, and I'm asking you to help our student-athletes by donating to the Impact Club. This is an organization that highlights our commitment to teamwork while raising awareness and support for our local community programs. Make a monthly commitment and get access to team letters, special gear, and exclusive access that you won't find anywhere else. Find out more and give today at impactclub.com. That's impact spelled I-M-P-A-C-K-T club.com. Your support makes a real difference in the lives of our student-athletes and in the future of our sports program. Wolves up. Well, both basketball teams opened up 
conference play over the weekends. This past Saturday, the men were in Atlanta taking on Georgia State. That was first time to play at the GSU Convocation Center, which actually opened last year, but Georgia State came to Jonesboro last year. This is the first time had a chance to go in the new facility. And what Georgia State has is pretty neat. And it's going to get even better because of what they did when the Braves moved from Turner Field up to Marietta into the new Truist Park. Georgia State came in, bought Turner Field, turned it into their football stadium, which is now Center Park Stadium. They also have all the land in the parking lot. And at the edge of the parking lot, Kind of closer to I-20, they built the new basketball arena. And they've still got all kinds of land to do other things. And, you know, we continue to hear the rumors that they've got the money set aside for their baseball stadium as well, a new baseball facility, which they dearly need. But that basketball arena, they did a really good job with it. It's about a 7,500-seat facility. They were so landlocked where they were before. Yeah. I mean, the Georgia State campus is right in the middle of downtown Atlanta. Yes. You can't build. Right in the middle of downtown You Atlanta. cannot build anything around, just directly around that campus. And they were kind of stuck in, I don't know, what would you call that? Some kind of, it was the third floor of an athletic facility. Yeah. And Basically, like playing in a glorified, glorified hype. hype, yeah. They needed a new facility. They did a good job with this. Uh, so, What was there, blinking lights or something, though? What was going on? There's... It happened at one point late in the game the other day where the, the lights did go out or at least went dim for, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds. The teams went to their benches during that time before the lights came back up. But there were some – you could tell the lights were blinking a little bit like during pregame warm-ups. And I think – Coach Hodson actually said something to one of the Georgia State people about it, saying, hey, we noticed that happening during our shoot-around. But I don't know what the explanation ever was on that. But fortunately, when they did go out towards the end of the game, they came back on pretty quick. But the Red Wolves had to play shorthanded in this game. They're still without Terrence Ford, who's been out most of the season with that ankle injury. And they had to go without Freddie Hicks in this game, who had a freak injury In the Belmont game, 10 days before, he was diving for a loose ball. He actually kind of went through our bench, and there was a metal staircase right behind our bench, and he fell and and hit his back on it. He tried to come back in the ball game. Just You could tell he was in a lot of discomfort, and Coach Hodson took him out of the game. Wasn't ready to go just yet for the game on Saturday. So, I mean, there's two starters. You're down again with Terrence Ford and Freddie Hicks, but – it was a back-and-forth first half. Georgia State did close the half on a 14-2 run. Georgia State's up 11 at the intermission. Then we got down 18 with a little over 12 minutes to go. But we switched up things defensively. Went to a 1-3-1, and we stayed in it the rest of the game. And it really seemed to do a lot of good. Got the Red Wolves back in the ball game. Yeah, we're on the ropes, right? I mean, I'm just sitting there, and not to kind of bleed it over to talk about the women's game, but because of what we talked about earlier with sickness, that had me in the house as a consumer of these games, as opposed to you know at the arena calling the women's games. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of flipping back and forth between them, and it's 18. You're down 18 on the road, and 
that's a bad scene. And but then you kind of just you just see it chip away. And if I went over and watched part of the women's game, wow, and came back to the score, it was a little bit closer, a little bit closer, and you know, right out to a a real exciting and interesting finish we can talk about. Yeah, finally tied it up with a little over seven seconds to go. Avery Feltz hit his sixth three of the game. He had a career high twenty one points. And he hit it from the right wing, right in front of the A-State bench. It tied the game at 89, but that's not what Avery thought. And it's not what DeAndre Dominguez thought. They thought it was 89-88, Georgia State. Avery thought his foot, because he had to kind of double clutch mm-hmm. that three, and the shot clock was winding down, but he, had, he thought his foot was on the line. He never saw, I guess he never turned and saw the official signaling three, they thought they were down one. And as soon as that ball's inbounded, DeAndre Dominguez commits the foul and sends Georgia State to the line only to find out right after Avery and DeAndre. And there may have been one other guy out there on the floor that thought it was a one-point game instead of being tied. Well, again, having watching the TV broadcast and having the advantage of close-ups and whatnot, I, I sent you a text, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah. What happened? Because it looked, and I said, it looked like Dominguez for sure, and maybe even Avery didn't know. Well, I know Avery didn't, yeah. And, well, I mean, DeAndre, I mean, you you can see our bench trying to get him back because he went up and guarded the inbounds pass, which they didn't want to do. And then, you know, he had to chase the play down from behind to commit a foul. And um, you could just tell, I mean, as watching, that was exactly what it looked like. The the couple of guys, and and I get it because they would show angle. They didn't have a great angle on Avery's shot. They only kind of had the baseline camera. They showed it a couple times, you know, that it was obviously very close to being on the line. And they did uh, go back and review it. The officials did, and they reviewed it was a three. And but I mean, I so I could see what would lead to confusion. It's interesting that uh, it's I don't know what's more interesting that Avery thought he had a foot on the line or that DeAndre thought he did. They're both kind of interesting in their own regards, I'd say. Still, we had a chance. Yeah. I mean, Georgia State goes down, they hit the free throws, they make it ninety one eighty nine. You know, we inbound, get it across midcourt, call the timeout. There's 5.8 seconds still. Thought we drew up a really good play. Uh, got the ball to DeAndre on the wing, hit Caleb kind of going down the left side of the lane. He goes up, gets fouled, and gets two shots to try to tie it. Hits the first but misses the second, and Georgia State able to hold on and win it 91-90. to 90. You want that foul call, right? And you had a coronary if he didn't get it because Caleb got oh, knocked to the deck yeah. but had he not gotten that foul call we were all alone for an <laughs> offensive rebound and a putback but he got fouled they can't be mad they called the foul because they knocked the guy down but it just so happens that he had took a point blank game tying putback off the board yeah we mentioned uh, Avery with the career high 21 points six threes the most since Marquise Eaton hit six in a game against Little Rock back in February of 2020 Caleb Fields finishing with 20.6 assists and five boards, but the Red Wolves fall short. The good news is they're home for the next four, taking on Georgia Southern Thursday at 7, and then Old Dominion Saturday at 2 to begin the homestand. Let me tell you about a couple things uh, Go ahead, going yeah. on with that. I'm glad I, to, to mention that. Number one, if this goes back to the win against Louisville, and uh, we put out this right before Christmas, we put out a flash sale where because uh, we knocked off Louisville by 12, we took $12 off whatever remaining lower-level tickets there are for both of these games, Thursday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. So you can sit lower-level 
uh, right now, assuming there's some left, for $18. And they're really, if you just go to our social media, A-State Red Wolves, you know, on Facebook, Twitter, find us. There's a link, a Ticketmaster link to each game where the promo code's already typed in, and you can see what's available. There's not a lot. Yeah. I think people get sometimes would be surprised by the low number of lower-level seats that are not sold in season tickets. There, there, there aren't a lot of tickets, but the ones that are open, I mean, there's enough for you to go get and and save. So find us on social media. Find the, the graphic about a ticket sale, and there's a direct link, a, one link for Thursday night, one link for Saturday. The other thing about Thursday night, and hopefully if you're listening to this, it's before Thursday, is that we're calling Throwback Thursday. Mm-hmm. And I love this. By here, way. Here's the idea. The students aren't back on campus yet. Now we're going to have some students there who are around and the howlers are going to be there. And they're going to be making noise like they always do. And the spirit squads will be there. And there'll be some students who are around, but by and large, it's, the campus is not open yet to students. So we're letting people sort of turn back the clock Thursday night uh, to the glory days of the convo when everybody was in there cutting up and carrying on or for all the people who don't think the students make enough noise these days here's your chance here's your chance because the student section is wide open to anybody that wants to come down there the only prerequisite or the only requirement that you come down there and create an atmosphere i would love to see some folks maybe get their you know buddies together painted guys are the naked guys are gone so by the way, a lot of you like me could probably fit more letters on your chest than you could back in the day. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Most so of us can. So if you're short of people, maybe you can double up, get a couple of letters in there. <laughs> Do that. Make signs, wear costumes, whatever you want to. You still got your cheerleading outfit, put it on, whatever you want to do. Come fill that end zone up, sections B, C, and D. And have at it Thursday night. Sounds like a lot of fun. I hope so. It'll be interesting to see uh, who takes us up on that. We did have basketball at home yep. on Saturday. The women's team, victorious in their Sunbelt Conference opener, defeating Coastal Carolina 81-73. to Izzy Higginbottom with 25 points in this one. Lauren Pendleton, her fifth career double-double, had 17 points and 12 rebounds. So the women now... Off to a 1-0 start in conference play and 7-4 and overall. You know, and I, I don't know where it is after this game, but coming into this game Saturday, that three of the top ten scores in the country were in the Sun Belt. Is that on right? On the women's side, yeah. Three of the top ten, including Izzy. So uh, it's going to be an exciting season on the women's side. And this was a good ball game. You know, A-State seemingly led most of the day, but we're always trying to hold off a run. And it's interesting because they gave up another run late in the first half, which has weirdly been a thing mm-hmm. this season. And uh, I would be really interested to get to sit down sometime and talk with Coach Dez and see why she thinks that is. Because this is a team that you know three or four times at home this year has given up a big run in the last four or five minutes of the second quarter. I guess we're up 17 at one point in the second quarter, and it was down to four at halftime. I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, if she knew exactly why, she'd do something about it. But it's been an interesting trend. Uh, but came back, it, when it got tight again in the fourth quarter, made one more push at them. And really, it was Winter Rogers who was right in the middle of a key flurry of the game uh, where it seems like in the span of 
10 seconds it felt like she got a bucket and a steal and an offensive rebound and a kit and an assist it was just mm-hmm. i mean she made three or four plays just back to back to back to back in kind of the spurt that finally put the game away i, I want to say uh sort of a- acknowledge the game that they got from their bigs because we know what the guard plays like with this team it's really good and we know that coach des and their staff went and addressed kind of getting them some size so they've got essentially they've got four bigs Really, and they're playing some kind of combination of Melody Kapinga or Kendra Gillespie, the Baylor transfer, or now Emma Ebre, who came in from Lamar. And now, all of a sudden, of late, Cheyenne Forney has played her way into that mix, who transferred in here from Denver, and she drew a start Saturday. Well, they don't have to run an offense that's going to go through those posts. What they need those posts to do is finish at the basket, give some rebounds, you know, take some pressure off the guards. Could almost just take those four kids night by night and just give me their stats combined. Mm-hmm. So if you do that from Saturday, they got 19 and 11 out of their bigs on 8 of 14 shooting. All right. You give this team that every night with those guards and the way they can shoot it and the other stuff they can do, this, gets, this team will be a handful. They'll be on the road this week. At James Madison, Thursday at 6, and then at Marshall, Saturday at noon. Anything else we need to mention here? No, just, um, you know, hopefully we'll see some folks out this week. Again, it's the two games the men have where the student section won't be the same as it will normally be. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be okay Saturday. Campus opens back Saturday, so you see some people back, and I think they'll be there. But Thursday night, we got to pick up the slack. And so – uh, we'll see how many people want to come kind of turn back the clock for a couple hours and stand there and make some noise right down by that Georgia Southern bench. Who am I right? Like they didn't hand one a game all year and then went and knocked off Southern Miss? Yeah, they were 0-12 <laughs> until the conference opener. And now they're 1-0, so that's all they care about. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, both of those home games coming up this week. Appreciate you tuning in, as always. Hope you have a great week, a very happy new year. For Brad, I'm Matt. We'll see you next week.